Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 113 Sandrine and the Sunset. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Adam Bradford's table in the Levitating Platter. And welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests, the best unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast, in my humbly biased opinion. I've got an awesome guest this week, but before we get to the guest, I got to leave you in suspense for the top of the show ad read from our friends over at Plus One EXP. Of course, you recently heard Tony Vicinda return to the podcast, and he had the whole spiel, the whole rigmarole to share with you. But just to give you the long and short of it. They make fine beard and lip balm products. So if you feel like you need some pep in your step, a plus one to your strength, your charisma, your dexterity, what have you, they've got it covered. I happen to have a can of plus one charisma that when I remember to put on uh, some beard balm for my face, it always leaves me feeling refreshed and feeling that much cooler for the day. Of course, the whole thing that helped to launch this brand was an indie RPG that was developed called Beards and Beyond. That has since inspired Tony to collaborate and work on several other indie games, including Repugnant, I Toaster, Down We Go, Through the Void, Vamp Nugula, and Brandstanding, just to name a few. Of course, if you go to their website, plus1exp.com, or the itch page, you're going to find all of these products and all of these games. And whenever you purchase a product through either of these mediums, you're contributing to the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. And of course, at the time of this recording now, hopefully it's already launched, but they should have their new monthly, quarterly, whatever you want to contribute towards RPG Zine Club. So if you sign up for this subscription, you're going to be getting brand new indie RPGs that are like hot off the presses and you'll be able to join in with the community over on Discord and across social media in order to be discussing and, and talking about these games. Um, so everyone can be checking out the latest things that are being developed in the indie scene. So for more details and all these things, again, I highly encourage you to follow Tony and Plus One on all the socials over on Twitter, X, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Discord in order to keep up with all these various projects that are being worked on, as well as upcoming interviews, one-shots, and actual plays of, again, some of these amazing indie TTRPGs that are being developed. And if you don't mind, when you go to the website page, 
plus1exp.com. Use that affiliate code for this show, Randolph, in order to save on a Beard Bomb or a Beard RPG. You know, you get a discount at no extra cost to you, and it helps to support the podcast. So again, go to the website, plus1exp.com. Use that code Randolph at checkout, and I appreciate you so much. Without further ado, I would like to turn the microphone over and ask, Hello, mystery contestant. Would you care to introduce yourself? Tell us who it is that you are and what is it that you do? This is already so much fun and we haven't <laughs> even started. I, 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 I love I love the prompt there. Uh, I am Adam Bradford. I am the uh, chief development officer at Demiplane currently, which is a very, very made up title uh, to say that I do, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of kitchen sink stuff uh, that, that falls under my realm of responsibility at Demiplane. But um, I formerly was the founder of D&D Beyond. And before mm. that, I uh, also I spent about a decade in the defense and aerospace industry. I uh, live in Huntsville, Alabama, which is the rocket city. So a big mm. NASA presence and everything here. I am someone who has been kind of lived in the normal day job for, you know, probably a, a big portion of my career. And then I got a very lucky chance to enter the gaming industry, gosh, eight or nine years ago, I guess, at this uh, point. And it's just been nothing that I would have ever expected happening to me, but uh, but it's been an incredible ride to be able to, especially through D&D Beyond and through working with Wizards of the Coast and uh, now with all of the incredible publishers that we work with at Demiplane, uh, you know, Paizo and Free League. And I almost said some that we haven't announced yet, but lots and lots <laughs> of really great publishers that we're working with. It really is just uh, a, an incredible privilege to be able to work in this industry that I love so much uh, because uh, tabletop role-playing is uh, genuinely my first first love and never thought that it would become a job for me. Awesome. I know that you were a guest on my friend Andrew Strother's podcast, Roll for Persuasion, and you did a very cool in-depth interview. And I believe that was when you were still with D&D Beyond. And so you got to tell the whole story of how that came about. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, I totally encourage you to go do that. So we're not necessarily retreading old ground, but it is really interesting you know, to have the architect, if you will, of D&D Beyond, which is a tool set that so many people in the hobby are thankful for and that they can use to now have you transition, you know, to Demiplane. Can you speak to that experience, kind of what it's like, you know, being regarded as like this architect, if you will, this guy who helped to make the game accessible to so many people from within the hobby and from those outside the hobby that now have come into the hobby? Yeah, I think that accessibility is a really important word there. And I think that, you know, again, playing these games, and, and I really, that's a point of emphasis for me, is uh, I, I say these games instead of uh, D&D, because I have from the very beginning, over 30 years ago at this point, whoa, getting it, man, time really marches on. Um, but <laughs> when, when I started playing, I actually started playing with the Star Wars Western games uh, version of the rules and uh you know you're you're picking up 20 d6s and, and throwing them down on the table and just hearing hearing the rumble it, it was just so incredible i i fell in love instantly with everything that was of course i found dungeons and dragons at that point you know second edition ad and d and, and so started playing that but then i quickly discovered 
a Marvel game. There were just so many exciting things. And so the biggest challenge that my groups always had as I was a younger person was sticking to one game. And so Mm -hmm. we were constantly bouncing back and forth between things. And, you know, I did, I genuinely fell in love with the hobby and it became uh, something that I liked more than video games. I liked more than any other way that I spent my free time. And so I think that as I played all those years that I wasn't doing any of this professionally, I was tinkering with ways that I could get friends that would just hold out no matter how hard I, I, I can be very convincing and mm-hmm. there were still people that were were holding out on me and just just wouldn't try it. And so especially when it came to, hey, everybody come over. We're going to talk about characters. We're going to get these characters created. And, uh, oh, you know, about four hours later, it's like, oh, OK, we're finishing up with the, the final stats for this last character. Finally, hey, let's get together next time and play. And so, you know, that entire onboarding process you know really for the hobby itself like it's it's not even specific games or anything else Mm -hmm. it's this concept that if someone is trying to to learn how to play baseball you are not going to give them a baseball rule book you're just not going to do that because if Mm -hmm. somebody starts with the rule book they're not going to have a clue how to actually play that game Mm -hmm. you know the way that you teach someone is you take them to a game and let them watch the game and so I think that that's a, such a huge deal with this hobby is that for so long it has required you happening to stumble upon people playing it in the basement of a game store and, and get you know, interested in it and all that. But with the advent of you know, streaming technology, you have people that are playing campaigns that you know thousands, uh, if not millions of people are watching week over week, you have these digital tools. And, you know, as I started in the gaming industry, one of the things that I was really seeing is, you know, hey, we had some virtual tabletops out there and and they were doing a great job at what a VTT does, which is allowing for a map to kind of coexist between, you know, everyone who's connecting to the platform. It lets you move your tokens or, you know, digital miniatures. You can have your fog of war, you know, all of that and trying to recreate that part of the experience. But the thing that I always saw as a gap that I really, really wanted to fill was what is the cornerstone of really all of these games, which is the characters themselves. And so I think that's where everything started for me was, you know, hey, uh, there aren't great ways to make these characters. And huge World of Warcraft player back, uh, you know, from vanilla on through, you know, Wrath of the Lich King. And as that was going on, one of the things that in my younger days, I even got you know in trouble at my job sometimes because you know the VP would walk past my desk and I would have the World of Warcraft armory up on my computer screen because I was just enamored with this completely made up character that I was playing and mm-hmm. I wanted to dream up their future and everything else. And so we connect with characters in the games that we play in ways that we don't fully even understand. I mean, I, I think I'll write a book about it one day of the psychology and even sociology that goes on with the way that we connect with these, you know, characters that we create. And so when I saw that technology as powerful as it was, it wasn't really solving that fundamental problem for the hobby. It's something that I jumped in on. And then finally, you know, my long winded way to come back to the original question of, (laughs) Hey, how do you get from D and D beyond to what you're currently doing at Demiplane is that, once D&D Beyond became a thing, 
and once the initial change bias and everything else, uh, you know, kind of worked itself out and, uh, and people understood like, hey, this, this actually is a really accessible way for people to come into the hobby. If I'm a veteran, I'm, it's going to save me several hours, you know, when I'm creating a, a character, all of those things. When I saw that, I, being a person that played these games, many, many multiple games all those years, I wanted to do it for other games and other systems. You know, as things progressed with Wizards of the Coast and with fandom, it became very clear, you know, that wasn't going to be the outcome of that situation. We all know what the outcome is now. And so at Demiplane, working alongside the founders there, we have put together something that it's like, hey, we want to provide that level of accessibility and convenience and ease and you know, help onboarding with the technology, especially centered around the character experience for these other great games. And that's really, uh, you know, it, it is kind of a mission for, for me even personally, you know, not to sound too uh, cheesy about that. But, but it really is something that I believe that the world would be a better place if everyone played these games, uh, because I, th I think that it just makes us kinder. It makes us wiser. It makes us just better people. And so, um, you know, the more people can be introduced to the hobby, the better off the world's going to be. Wholeheartedly agree. This is just, you know, fascinating learning this and, and hearing your perspective and, you know, not necessarily the nitty gritty details, he, you know, of the, oh, the corporate espionage or, or what have you going on behind the scenes, you know, none of that here. This is all very positive podcast. Oh yeah. I could tell a lot of stories, but you know, I don't want Pinkertons coming to my house or anything. So, yep. so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick to the high level here. Yeah. We will keep the high road and we, you know, it's all smiles and, and good vibes and positivity. Oh, it is. Here. It is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I've lived a, a wonderful uh, adventure and journey and D&D Beyond uh, is such an important milestone and part of my life. It, it literally has changed my life and, mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I'm forever grateful for. And, you know, really what I love the most about that experience is it does allow me, you know, there aren't many times in people's careers uh, or even just their personal lives that you're able to do something big a second time. Um, mm -hmm. And having the benefit of that hindsight of what worked and what maybe didn't work as well, you know, the, the first time around. And so um, as we are putting together the platform, you know, at Demiplane for, for characters in particular, you know, we're in beta with Pathfinder. We've got, you know, several things that, that we're working out, you know, kind of some of the kinks, especially with performance at the moment. Mm -hmm. But um, the experience itself is a really great flow. It's so flexible. And one of the most incredible things has happened is that, you know, we've been hypothesizing this entire time that we can't build this like I did at D&D Beyond because D&D Beyond got kind of painted into a corner where it's like, hey, you know, we, we're building this for this one system. Mm -hmm. And if there are sweeping changes to that system, it's going to grind everything to a halt. Uh, mm. And we saw that with things like Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. It's like, hey, we're going to make some big changes to the system. Mm -hmm. And it made it very difficult to develop within that framework. And so, you know, having that benefit of living through that, uh, you know, at Demiplane, we say, you know, hey, especially if we're going to support dozens of game systems, this has to have a dramatically higher, uh, you know, amount of flexibility and power in order for that to support that. And so 
we've been in this deep, dark development tunnel for, for nine or 10 months, really, on trying mm-hmm. to, to put this platform in place. So now we're baiting with Pathfinder. And as we started looking for the first time at our you know, next game, genuinely from you know i'm not talking the design and conceptualization that that was going on for months and months but mm-hmm. you know actual you know fingers to keyboard development work uh avatar legends which is our second game we've got this great character builder and digital sheet for for that game now um mm-hmm. it came came about in you know four to six weeks um and so uh and that's the power of the platform we have we're working on marvel and vampire the masquerade right now and those are going really, really well, making a ton of progress. Before I joined, you know, here uh, to talk with you, I was fixing some things on the Marvel character builder. So it's really exciting to see, you know, how fast we are able to move now that that platform exists. And I am really excited about what the outcome of that's going to be, which is the amount of times that I've heard over the years, uh, having played a good bit of Vampire the Masquerade over the years, the amount of times that I've heard man, that game looks so incredible. I could really get into that. Like it's so, it's so edgy. It's so dark. Like I could really throw myself into that. Hey, do you want to play? Ah, yeah, I don't know. Like I I just, I I don't know how to create characters. I don't understand the rule, you know, and being able to have digital tools that are going to help you get a character very quickly and really kind of launch you into this really firm foundation for getting started in those games that you've never played. It's a really exciting prospect. I just fondly think back to my fourth edition days when uh, Wizards had their character builder thing that was really helpful for making characters in fourth edition. And uh, yeah, so it was a godsend, you know, when D&D Beyond came along. And now you're continuing on with that work over at Demiplane, which is just awesome. So yeah, and it sounds like you've already answered the second question, which is, you know, (laughs) you currently or you have at least played some D&D in your past. And it sounds like, you know, you're even having an opportunity now to play a multitude of other different TTRPGs over on Demiplane as well. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) that's the thing is that uh, when your hobby becomes your job, it's uh, it's an interesting transition that, uh, again, a lot of people, um, I understand fully how blessed I am to be able to to have just such an engaging, such an enjoyable job. Like I I, I really do understand that. But at the same time, it's still a, a transition. And it's something that you've got to kind of get used to. And uh, and so I have played so much Dungeons and Dragons. And, and you know, <laughs> some sometimes that is something that I've wanted to do. Sometimes it is something that I need to do to make sure something's working the right way. Right. But yeah, uh, at the end of the day, wonderful game and wonderful games that we get to support out there. Awesome. And of course, with the theme of this podcast, we like to talk about sidekicks and we like to talk about side quests. So my question here, who is one of your favorite NPCs or sidekick characters, whether they be from one of your RPGs or video game, maybe from a movie, film, television show, stage play, history, etc. And uh, why is this character your favorite sidekick or favorite NPC? This is, I mean, we genuinely could talk for 28 hours on this like i I have so many uh characters i'm I'm into so many different things 
what I will try to narrow it down to, because, you know, earlier I mentioned the World of Warcraft. I was a big World of Warcraft player. It was uh, really funny to me uh, when I first entered the gaming industry. It was a, a company called Curse that used to support a variety of video games. So it was primarily video gaming that I got into first. Mm-hmm. And um, they ran a website called MMO Champion that probably many uh, listeners are going to be pretty familiar with. And I remember just being starstruck that I was meeting the people that ran you know, MMOC. I remember in those days that uh, when I interviewed with them, they said, uh, you know, do you play World of Warcraft? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, uh, you know, are you like a hardcore player? And I was like, well, you know, I play it every day. I think about it when I'm not playing it. Like, yeah, I think I'm a hardcore player. And then they start uh, talking to me about what hardcore, I guess, really meant, you know, with rating top 10. And, you know, and I was like, you know, that's really not how I ever played the game. I definitely rated and did all the content and all that. But um, I played on a role-playing server, Shadow Council representing here. And uh, so played on a uh, role-playing server for many, many years. And uh, it really was like I found a group of people that I was getting to essentially play D&D through the lens of this incredible game. And so um, I'm going to go with that game. And my favorite NPC in that game is a character called Tyrion Fordring. He is a paladin. I gravitate towards paladins all the time. Bards and paladins are, are, <laughs> are the thing for me. And uh, I see in some of the descriptions for you here, I think I'm looking at it, your name right here, Kurt, and then the Bardic Paladin. So uh, yeah. so that, that that seems like that fits. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's the same for me. And so Tyrion was a paladin that kind of got disgraced and essentially excommunicated mm-hmm. because he helped out an org. And so I love orcs in in a lot of literature. And so I think that, you know, it just really resonated with me that he helped out someone that society felt like he shouldn't be helping out. And he got excommunicated and completely banished from his, you know, paladin order. And then he went to live this quiet and peaceful life. And I will never forget. Sorry, this is a spoiler if you haven't played, you know, World of Warcraft uh, 12 years ago or whenever that came out. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you're kind of going through the plague lands and you come across this farmer and the farmer ends up. So, you know, talking about side quests here, this is the answer to this one, too, comes up with a whole bunch of side quests that... At first, you know, when I'm first playing through this, because this is before everybody's looking every single thing up for a video game on on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And so I was come I had no clue what was happening, but I am doing this for him and that for him. And and, and I'm going through and collecting things. And then each time I come and turn in the thing that you're going to get in the game, there's more and more of this lore and telling the story coming out and you find out what's happened with his son and his son is now part of the uh, Scarlet Crusade who everybody knows in the game. Those, those are horrible people, you know? And, uh, and so, and you find out the story of why he was disgraced and, and it was just the most fascinating thing at the time, you know, video games weren't getting uh, like really getting you in the feels like that. You know, it's like I I felt something for this character and then it kind of culminates with this, uh, you know, what what is typically horrible in video games, this escort quest where the NPC is walking way too slowly somewhere and you're, you're having to follow them and, and, you know, keep things from killing them, you know, or whatever. But because I was so invested in this story, 
it was the most incredible thing I had done. And so, you know, all this ensues. And unfortunately, his son ends up dying as part of it, but not before he kind of redeemed himself. And they had a moment. And I remember playing this. And first of all, it's a little bit of a tough battle, you know, uh, that you're not expecting to happen. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, blood pressure's up. I'm like, you know, uh, I get through it. And, uh, and I'm playing through this and then, you know, son dies and then Tyrion Ford ring essentially vows that he is going to restart the order of the silver hand and, you know, restore all of that and bring justice, you know, to the world out there. And I didn't even realize it, but I'm just like boohooing. Like I, I've got this tears streaming down my face and everything else. And this is a video game. And of course my wife, you know, made a lot of fun of me and everything else, but it mm. was, it was an incredibly impactful thing to me. And again, especially that concept of, you know, someone who is trying to do good out there gets really, really knocked down in some very unjust ways and, you know, has to kind of withdraw um, for, you know, whatever reason. And then being able to have that gumption to come back from that and to overcome again and, and, you know, all of those things, it just really, really spoke to me. And uh, so Tyrion became my favorite NPC um, at that moment. And then, of course, Tyrion ended up, um, you know, after that in the expansions that followed, especially Wrath of the Lich King, which was peak World of Warcraft for me. Tyrion, uh, you know, was kind of the the head of, of everything that was going on against, uh, you know, the Lich King. And, uh, and so uh, it was just such a satisfying story that started out in really, really humble ways. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's something that really uh, has stood out to me all of these years later. That's awesome. You know, it's kind of like the Obi-Wan thing of like, oh, I'm just this hermit that's out here in the desert and you don't know that I'm actually this super powerful Jedi. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's the thing is, you know, one of, uh, if not the most possibly uh, Frostmourne, uh, Arthas's weapon, but you've got Ashbringer. Uh, that is the weapon that Tyrion wielded. And all of a sudden, you know, it comes back into play in this game. And like I said, it was just so compelling, especially when you think about when that came out, because, you know, we enjoy this uh, complete golden or platinum age of video games right now where, mm. uh, you know, things like God of War exist, you know, and Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you're, you're playing through these things where store it's literally like you're playing a movie. Um, and just to think about that Blizzard pulled that off inside a massive multiplayer game, which, you know, has a lot of constraints mm-hmm. um, and uh, just the fact that they were able to pull it off and uh, how much it tied into the lore of the world. And I think ultimately that's what really set World of Warcraft apart uh, and the reason it was so successful. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was uh, definitely favorite uh, NPC. And then again, I you know, uh, hate that I kind of jumped forward there on you, but definitely favorite side quest was that you know and i've answered that way for you know over a decade at this point like you know people have uh, asked that question sometimes uh, i get i get the question more than people would think um and and i always come back to Tyrion. you know we'll end the personal interview section with the question of what are you passionate about and why this is wow this is that may be the most open-ended question possible for somebody like me because um you know, I, I think maybe the place I will go with that is I think that I am passionate about passion and I hate to be just uh, kind of trite there. It is so attractive to me in, you know, myself, in others when I see it, 
with people being passionate about things because I have seen the transformative power of passion in people's lives. I've seen, this goes all the way back to, you know, being a kid that was just enamored of Michael Jordan and seeing like even back before the internet, you know, reading in the newspaper, how hard he worked and to get to where he was and just the passion involved in in making him that kind of competitor to, you know, loving Ninja Turtles so much that I literally could not think about anything else when, when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old and those kinds of things. And then, you know, going and seeing that live action movie in, uh, in 1990 and just losing my mind. Passion has been something that has been probably, you know, if someone asked me, like, what is life about? If I had to boil it down to one word, most of the time I'm going to answer passion because, you know, I, I know that passion is the thing that really drives people to accomplish incredible things. It drives them to what I would ultimately think is the most important thing in life, which is joy. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think I think passion is so important. And so if I had to list just a few, I'm a huge Ninja Turtles fan. As I just said, love G.I. Joe, big Snake Eyes fan. I am also, of course, very much my first love when it comes to gaming of any sort is Dungeons and Dragons and just tabletop role-playing games in general. Um, a lot of people assume that means that I love board games and I'm passionate about those, but I actually don't like them at all, um, <laughs> which, uh, which you know, is a discussion for another time probably. Um, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, if somebody asked me to play a board game, I'll be like, yeah, do you just want to play, you know, D&D? Like, you know, it's <laughs> like, uh, I, I just prefer it so much more. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, those are some of the things. Um, this surprises a lot of people, but I'm very passionate about sports especially the NBA. Um, so I, I follow very closely. I am a daily watcher and consumer of anything going on with the NBA and really other sports. I uh, saw that Shohei Otani hit his 42nd home run a little bit earlier. You know, it's like all of those things, uh, you know, big time into sports. And, you know, ultimately when I think about those things, it really boils down to, you know, fans. And I think that I love being a fan. I love being a fan of so many different things and I love, you know, what it feels like when you're a fan of a sport, uh, you know, a sports team and they uh, accomplish something, succeed at something. It's just exhilarating. It's the same feeling when, you know, we're sitting in the theater and we see, um, you know, I, I just watched Mayhem for Ninja Turtles. And uh, when I see the love and the care and the passion that went into that, then that continues to spur on and feed my passion. And, and I just enjoyed the hell out of the film, you know? So it's just like all of those things, passion to me is what uh, gets me out of the bed in the morning. And, um, and that's another reason that I, I feel so blessed that I get to kind of turn, you know, one of my core, just fundamental passions in my life into something that I can do as a job. Amazing. Well, we've learned so much about Mr. Bradford here in the personal interview section that I think it's time we now turn to some NPC creation. And NPC creation is brought to you by you, podcast audience, and our patrons from Patreon. So now is the time in the show where we give a shout out to our comfortable patrons and above with a loud hurrah. So to you, Katie Downey, Nicholas Cartarelli, Anson Jablinski, and my parents, we say cheers. So again, all of these folks are among my wealthy level patrons. Katie, queen of 
our Patreon is actually our first aristocratic Patreon supporter. So certainly we want to give them those additional kudos because it means that they get to introduce an element of chance to our random tables that we can use here in NPC creation. So we might get to hear some of those responses used here today. So if you'd like to learn more about our Patreon community, just check the show notes below, go to the podcast website, or just go directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and side quests to find out more about our accommodations help us expand the operations of the levitating platter in this demiplane wink and worlds beyond <laughs> all right so before we started hitting all the record buttons on the podcast i believe we were going to go the path of random today with using some random tables and some dice rolls is that correct that sounds great to me okay well if you've got them at the ready i've got all my tables here and the first question that we will ask and get an answer for is, what is going to be the name of our character? And we determine this by rolling a d20. D20. All right, nice. And you said that Katie had something to do with at least some of these? Exactly. Responses? Okay, nice. So we've got 16. 16. All right. Your answer was provided by previous guest, uh, Max Chikino, Sandrine. Sandrine. Yeah, which is spelled S-A-N-D-R-I-N-E. I I believe it's Sandrine. That's how I would say it, unless you feel That's how I I would certainly say it that way, yes. Okay, okay, all right, so Sandrine. All right, so then the next thing we get to roll for is the ancestry of our character, and we determine this by rolling two D10s for a D100 effect. Okay. So that is only a 10. 10. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So we've got some choices. Um, so you have the ability to be a cogwork, clockwork person, constructed okay. commoner, or a magen, which I believe the magen are from Spelljammer, but yeah. basically some sort of cogwork, constructed commoner, a magen. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go the, the clockwork gear. Yeah. I, I, I like it. Okay, so the the cog work or the clockwork or the constructed commoner. Okay, I th- yeah. I think there's a there's a couple of them that sort of overlap and that are similar. So it's a uh, okay. So we'll go with the clockwork of sort of individual. Okay, got it. Yeah, I like that. The next thing we'll get to roll for is the job or role in society that uh, Sandrine <laughs> has, and we determine this with a singular D10 roll. Okay, that time we got a seven. Seven. <laughs> okay. Your answer was provided by previous guest, comfortable patron Nicholas Cartarelli, Fishmonger. Fishmonger. Okay. So we've got a constructed, uh, a construct commoner that is a fishmonger. So I'm thinking through how that works. And okay. I definitely, I definitely can see it. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm on board. The next thing we roll for before we get to take a pause on the dice rolling is the age range of the character. And we determine this with a D8 roll. Okay. That is going to be a five. Five is midlife. So we have a middle-aged clockwork commoner named Sandrine. That is a fishmonger. And with all of these pieces of information in mind, can you describe the physical appearance of Sandrine with all of these yes, key details? Absolutely can. Um, so, you know, first of all, being middle-aged as a construct uh, means, you know, different things uh, likely. 
than you know other uh, squishier races. Um, <laughs> and so we're we're going to go with uh, very aged and worn. So uh, you know lots of time with water, salt, and everything else. And so uh, this looks uh, you know beaten down. This looks you know C three PO. Uh, before the oil bath uh, kind of stuff is, is what we see here. But growing out of various orifices and cracks and seams in this uh, kind of a patchwork body at this point. So it looks like possibly the body at one point was some kind of uh, possibly even adamantine, but at least uh, mithril. It's something that shines a little bit brighter than you know your typical steel, but you see kind of uh, complementing that and accenting that more bronze and brass and and honestly just kind of brown. You know, looking bits of metal uh, that have been repairs over you know a pretty long uh, lifetime at this point. You see that the frame itself is uh, you know bipedal and so it's you know humanoid-esque but mm. uh, but it's going to look uh, a little bit closer to just a bunch of columns that have been stacked together so almost you know ig88 ish mm. you know kind of uh long but then it has very very long arms because that is used in the ship and we're, we won't get too far into that but this is about the body there's a place that you know basically they're able to plug into uh, okay. the, the ship and attach themselves where it doesn't really matter how stormy it gets. They're, they're not going anywhere unless the boat itself busts apart. And then uh, with those long arms, they're able to manage nets because uh, this construct understands that efficiency is not casting or anything like that. It is making sure that you have nets in the right places. And so almost go-go gadget extendable arms um, are, are something that this model now again didn't start out as a fishmonger so mm. um, a lot of these are modifications over the long lifetime that they've had to put in place interesting yeah so i i love how in the npc creation part of the show we you know we start to describe these things and it it naturally kind of generates this world building aspect as to trying to place this character so Okay, so Sandrine didn't originally start off as a fishmonger, but over time, middle-aged construct has now found themselves being adopted by this, I guess, this fishing vessel crew here in the prime material plane and helps work with some kind of like fishing company of some sort, if you will. I love it. And again, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm, you know, jumping forward too much, but, you know, the way, the way that I would see this happening with Sandrine, Sandrine was created you know, ultimately for companionship. And I'm, and I mean that in a very platonic sense mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, was an older wizard that was, uh, you know, wanting initially someone to simply record some of the things that, uh, you know, some of the musings, uh, just, uh, ramblings as he was, uh, you know, walking around his tower created, uh, Sandrine. And as Sandrine got created, the wizard, the mage, at some point took Sandrine on a trip, and it was a fishing trip. And so mm. when this fishing trip happened, Sandrine, that was basically how they were introduced to the material plane. And mm. so uh, they, they uh, kind of, uh, you know, the, the best that they can do fell in love with that activity. And so when the wizard passed, eventually... Uh, Sandrine was, uh, you know, looking for ways that they could, uh, you know, have purpose. And 
So, you know, this is something that they kind of went back to a first love. really. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm, I know in my head, I'm already trying to spin up different stories, but the beauty of this podcast is that anyone can listen to this episode, take this character and figure out how they need to adapt it to their game. So, Absolutely. you know, sometimes it's best to just leave things open-ended as it were. So we got the modifications and all this stuff. And the, I like, I like the image of the C-3PO as well, but all the different mixtures of, of metals that have uh, been introduced as, as repairs have happened. Is there anything else that goes towards the physical appearance of this character? Or do you have three adjectives in mind that you think best describe Sandrine? I like the three adjectives. Let's go. Let's go with three adjectives here. Okay. We are going to say creaky. We are going to say coarse. And then we are going to say, I was trying to be alliterative here, but I don't know if I, I'm going to be able to do it with the last word there. I, we're going to say cranky. Mm. And, and again, some people might think coarse means that, but uh, that's not necessarily how I meant it there. So how do you mean coarse then? Coarse uh, in body. So again, mm. beaten by seawater for, for a long time, mm. there is a smoothness there, but also this coarseness that comes from, it's not always water that you're getting hit with when mm. in this kind of environment. So, and trust me, I, I know that from, from some time with the ocean. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's a little more dangerous than a lot of people <laughs> like to admit maybe it is, right. um, especially where I would see Sandrine possibly you know, doing this fish monitoring. I just got a happy image of Sandrine working alongside Lieutenant Dan and Captain Force Gump or something like that. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Wonderful. And now we get to go back to some dice rolling. So we always nice. like our NPCs to have something cool on them. So what's going to be a valuable item, piece of lore? secret or ideal or concept that the character cares about and this is a combination so we're going to do a d4 for the category and then a d6 for the particular thing so d4 first that's a three okay this is going to be a secret oh nice okay got it uh that's a four four only very you know middle of the road ah yeah 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 so your secret was provided by previous guest D jordan lee so sandrine has a ring that actually holds a rambunctious blink dog inside of it and it may randomly pop out thoughts on this interesting so um what i would say so, so again i don't know how far in the story we go but if that randomly happened in one of my games and i was improvising about it i would say that uh the blink dog was actually the pet of the wizard yep and as the wizard you know uh, left the mortal coil. However, that happened. Basically, uh, Sandrine felt compelled to care for the creature, but being cranky as they are, really can't stand the creature and definitely the responsibility associated with the creature. And so has, uh, you know, provided it a home inside the ring uh, where it can uh, subsist without a lot of direct interaction with Sandrine. So it's it's keeping the dog safe, but also not having to engage with the dog. I'm very much getting C-3PO, R2-D2 vibes <laughs> in A New Hope, where C-3PO has just had it with R2-D2. And then R2-D2 is like, no, we got to go this way. We got to do this thing. And it's like, you dumb droid. No, like, you, you get in the ring. Yeah. You, no, <laughs> you're you supposed to get in the ring. Bark, 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 bark. Blink, 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 blink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
especially with trying to keep it on the boat as well. Like just wants yeah, to blink I mean, and ends up in the ocean. You're like, I, I mean, get- yeah, it's, it's honestly a mercy for the blink dog, right? The blink dog's not going to like the water and being out there. And so, you know, while on these long, you know, fishing trips, because, you know, our construct here is able to, uh, you know, kind of stay out longer than, than a lot of crews would be able to. And so get some pretty big hauls as a result of that. The blink dog is not going to have it being on a boat for that long. And so, you know, <laughs> it gets to just, rest and and have a nice little uh dog house inside this uh, magical ring yeah although i do like to imagine as well some very adorable scenes where like you know uh sandrine is giving scritches behind the ears and the the blink dogs rolling over you know ears and tongue flopping all over and is just like yes this is this is really yeah nice. that's it but again like you know very very cranky i'm saying and and i think that you know Sandrine being really efficiency minded, you know, in, in this, you know, job is that like, okay, if this is something I have to do with this creature, then I'm going to install something that can do that. So, you know, it's kind of a secondary limb of some sort that can come out and do the scritches while Sandrine can still do other things with their, uh, you know, core arms, their primary arms. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then let's see, of course, every NPC on this podcast has to be able to give a side quest out to whenever player characters interact with them. So what is going to be a particular quest that Sandrine would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do on their behalf? So here you can roll the last dice, which is going to be a D12 and be totally random. Or if you're inspired, you can lay on us what you think an appropriate side quest for Sandrine would be. I mean, why not both? No, um, it, it's, uh, yeah, let, I, I'm going to jump in here because now I'm attached to Sandrine um, <laughs> at this point and f- feel a, a kinship with them. So I would say that as uh, our characters, player characters approach uh, with the uh, nice uh, exclamation, yellow exclamation point over Sandrine's head, mm-hmm. and click and the quest that is given here is a pretty simple and straightforward one from where we've gone with this, which is, uh, you know, hey, there is a spot that no one has ever fished in Mm. the bay because it is incredibly precarious to get to. But Sandrine knows that's where the best fish are going to be. Mm. Basically, Sandrine knows that they can essentially be done with a month's worth of work Mm. in a week if they can just figure out how to get to this body of water that is not accessible by a regular boat. You know, essentially, uh, it's uh, Sandrine hires. Sandrine can pay because Sandrine does does better than a lot of crews out there. Um, And Sandrine tries to go with this solo most of the time. Mm. This is one one of one of the ways that Sandrine understands that they can't do this solo. What they're trying to accomplish, they need to hire some help, and uh, so it involves you know the the PCs needing to figure out how to get there, how to get a boat there, how to get <laughs> nets there, and then the age old thing in all of these games that some people gloss over maybe a bit too much is once you get your haul, whatever you're after, how are you going to get it back? And in the right. case of uh, in the case of fish, fish uh, you know go bad, um, right? And, uh, and so it's like, how are you going to get them back quickly? So you know, I think that uh, the reason I like this is it's got some you know engineering challenges that the uh, you know characters can try to sort out. It's got exploration 
Uh, it's got, you know, social interaction with a very cranky, cantankerous construct uh, that lives their entire life on the sea. So yeah, you know, I feel pretty inspired. I think I might use it in one of my games. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm trying to imagine the scenarios of either like, yeah, you're having to do a Fitzcarraldo situation. So you're literally trying to pull a boat over land to get to the body of water. Or, you know, you're employing like the druid to like move all this earth and stuff like that to make a natural channel or. Or you're, you know, finding out how to get there and then, uh, you know, discovering that there are enough natural resources there to build the boat once you get there. You know, like there there are just so many ways that that could go. There's a um, nasty beastie there. That is the reason why people can't get there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very dangerous. And, you know, if, uh, you know, Sandrine can't fight off creatures um, at the same time that they are collecting the fish. So, uh, so yeah, so, uh, so much action and, you know, at the heart of it all is uh, the very mercenary uh, capitalism of it. Um, And that, (laughs) you know, is always at least a good place for a lot of these things to at least start. Sure. Yeah. So now that we have the idea of what this side quest is going to be, what do you think the reward Sandrine is going to offer the players? Uh, should they be successful in this endeavor? However, it is accomplished. Yeah, de- definitely. You know, fat wads of gold, um, you know, <laughs> uh, and or cash. I think is uh, is very appropriate here because again, uh, you know, kind of is proportional to the amount of danger that they would be in. But I would also say that this is one of those situations where Possibly the reason that this place is um, pretty inaccessible is, uh, you know, some kind of magical ward that makes it so. And so I think that probably a relic or an item of some sort is the uh, cause of that. And so even though not promised initially, it's the kind of thing that Sandrine uh, would not have a use for themselves Mm. and therefore uh, very freely gift that to any uh, characters that helped out. Yeah, I'm just imagining like critical role situation. It's like, oh, I have no use for this device. And it's like, this is a vestige of divergence that's just yeah, yeah, yeah. laying around randomly. OK, I guess you get it now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that'd be very funny. OK, and then to consider the opposite, what's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call to the adventure? Yeah, I love that because, you know, that uh, I, and, and I love the concept of the hook, especially when we're talking about fishing here that's that's the whole point right is that the the characters have to take the hook and you got to be able to set the hook and so um so when that's happening you know i would say that uh you know first of all consequences is they just don't get paid a very large sum for for whatever level these characters would happen to be it's a very large sum and so so they wouldn't get paid but then uh you know i also think that it's always fun to say that you know if they turn that down then whoever that rival adventuring party that just keeps, uh, you know, eating their breakfast, beating them to this place, to that place, you know, freely goes in and and agrees to it, you know, right, right where they can see it. So it's like, you know, Hey, you missed your chance. And then your, your rivals over here are the ones that, uh, you know, are going to potentially get to take this risk and and possibly get this reward. Uh, So I I like going that route for sure. And then I think other than that is, um, they're going to discover some kind of threat when they get to this place. Mm. And if that threat continues to become a bigger and bigger fish in a smaller and smaller pond, then those kind of problems have a way of pouring over into the wider 
you know, ocean and possibly, you know, coastal towns there. So consequence of that could be, hey, you know, uh, you could have discovered this when uh, something could more easily be done about it. But uh, but but since you didn't find this earlier, then, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to deal with bigger consequences uh, later on. Yeah. Yeah. The Kuatoa that were there just, you know, minding their own business that you could have dealt with. But now all of a sudden they've managed to summon Blipdool Poop, who is now trampling the harbor. That is exactly it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I love Sandrine. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, again, it would not surprise me. If Sandrine ends up in, uh, you know, some of my games in the future, and and that's one of the other things that I just love about this stuff is is this is completely randomized, and uh, you know I had no idea what I was getting into uh, with with any of those roles, but um, but that improvisational storytelling aspect uh, really is just uh, it, it's it's one of the key key ingredients in in what I love about this hobby. All right, now that we've had the opportunity to create Sandrine, it's time to throw him into a random encounter. So this segment of the show would have a sponsor, but we don't have a sponsor at the moment. And if you want something to be promoted here on this podcast, which is, you know, on its way to 10,000 downloads, you know, that's not nothing too shabby. But yeah, if you're looking for uh, for a billboard for your Kickstarter, your project, your service, what have you, feel free to send me an email, sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. And we'll look over the proposal. We'll talk, we'll do lunch, all the good stuff. And so thank you for listening to the podcast and let's get back to it. So the random encounter segment is where we like to do a little bit of a role play of vignettes of a scene with the character that we've created. So, you know, you don't have to talk in a funny voice or anything like that, but we're just trying to embody and contextualize Sandrine. So the question becomes, what kind of scene are you interested in portraying Sandrine in? Is it going to be Sandrine meeting one of the podcast adventuring characters to give the side quest? Is it going to be a poignant scene uh, with the former wizard owner? of the construct uh, gifting the blink dog ring. Um, Is it just a slice of life of Sandrine just kind of dealing with the ins and outs of life in this Harbor town and uh, you know, dealing maybe with other fishermen and maybe hearing these stories or these rumors about this, the gold mine fishing spot that no one can get to or what have you. This is one of my favorite types of scenes in in film television. Uh, But, but let's say that, Sandrine is so good at their job that the other, uh, you know, fishing crews uh, become very covetous mm. of, of that success. And so um, Sandrine being, you know, uh, su- such a perceived outsider has been, uh, you know, trying to carve out, uh, you know, a living uh, in, in this, uh, you know, coastal town where there is a lot of fishmongering. Um, and so um, somebody uh, kind of gets tired of what seems like Sandrine is is getting, you know, all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one evening attempts to to steal, steal the hall before the morning uh, sale mm-hmm. goes on. Um, and so uh, Sandrine is, you know, uh, kind of deactivated or whatever our construct w- w- would do here, you know, that would uh, constitute sleep 
mm-hmm. and um, is awakened by intruders on their ship because like i said uh sandrine flies solo because they're able to um Mm -hmm. and um and so awakened by intruders that are after um you know an entire day's catch which in this economy is is a really big deal to Sandrine. we pan towards the evening time here in a sleepy harbor town name to be determined whatever you want but you know, it's peaceful remembering our earlier example of Forrest Gump and whatnot. So maybe somewhere like a Mississippi or an Alabama coastal sort of region. And so you have a number of boats all out there moored and tied up at the docks. You know, there's a lot of shrimping that goes on, but maybe there's also like other fish and stuff like that. And so a lot of these fishermen and these families in this community just depends on it so much. And then you know, however many years ago it was, you know, Sandrine came into the picture and over time, you know, because of this uh, mechanical efficiency with not needing to sleep or eat or drink or any of this stuff, Sandrine can outpace a lot of the other people. And because Sandrine has this goal in mind of efficiency, is able to determine these spots where the best fish can be caught, maybe even does something that other fishermen don't do. And we'll actually, you know, we'll sort through the fish and allow for certain fish to go back into the sea in the hopes that they will enable future and stronger and better offspring and stuff like that. So it's been years that this has been going on. And we will say that a particularly salty dog that we will call Big Charlie. So Big Charlie is the saltiest fisherman in this harbor, likes to bully some of the other guys around because he's just tough. You know, he's got the tattoos and scars to show for it. So, you know, everyone respects Big Charlie. They may not like him, but they respect him. And so uh, after uh, everyone had come in for the day and, you know, rumors began to circulate. Like, ah, did you hear, you know, that Sandrine, you know, just is I don't understand how he does it, you know. And so and then Big Charlie's been drinking uh, at the tavern and is just like, you know what? Enough. Enough is enough. You know, that bucket of bolts. He's not like us. He's not fishing blood. He, you know, he doesn't have it, the sea water in his veins like us. And he's like rallying up the people. He's like, you know, if you were all real men, you'd do something about it, wouldn't you? And everyone's kind of looking nervous because they're like, well, you know, I mean, you know, we, you know, we don't like that Sandrine's a better fisherman than us, but we're not going to, you know, he's cool. We don't want to do anything. But Big Charlie gets worked up into a frenzy. And so he's going to storm off out of the tavern and make his way to the boat. And uh, is there a particular name for Sandrine's boat? Ooh, that is a great question. And I am going to say that it is going to be uh, the sunset. Okay. And the sunset uh, because um, our wizard friend that is actually, uh, you know, kind of magically created this, uh, this demiplane where the fishing was going on. And so Sandrine originally didn't understand that that's what was going on but um, crafted in a way that uh, they were fishing at sunset essentially the entire time that they were there. Mm. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it became a core, you know, heuristic memory for Sandrine and uh, named the ship after that. Yeah. So big Charlie stomping his way down the Harbor uh, towards the, the mooring spot for where the sunset is located. And so, you know, with rum fresh on his breath, licks his teeth, with a couple of them missing uh, from bad dental hygiene. Uh, And he's going to like clomp, clomp his way onto the deck. And he's just going to start muttering under his breath. 
Uh, he, you know, has like a big, big knife that he uses for filleting fish or whatever on his hip and he pulls it out. And so he starts stomping through the, the ship and he's like looking and he's muttering like, ah, where's that score? I'm going to, I'm going to teach this bucket of bolts what for. And so what's happening with Sandrine? So Sandrine, uh, again, you know, not, not a need to eat, sleep, uh, you know, really any of those kinds of, uh, again, that the squishies have to do. Uh, so Sandrine uh, really just kind of deactivates because one of the things that Sandrine has discovered over the years is that even without the physical need for those things, there is a need for mental health purposes to uh, to continue to uh, you know kind of decompress. And so Sandrine, you know, not unlike a trance for an elf, but um, you know, not as uh, maybe you know uh, spiritual or ethereal as that is, uh, is is kind of almost deactivated to a large degree, but. Uh, the sunset is equipped with a variety of gadgets because, again, Sandrine works on themselves a lot, and you know, kind of uh, some alarms are you know triggered in, and Sandrine activates. Um, you know, some ocular sensors uh, you know come on uh, and and kind of light up, and if uh, you know Big Charlie happened to glance that way, say just a couple of uh, you know, glowing eyes in the darkness of, of the captain's quarters on the uh, sunset. But uh, Sandrine knows that uh, someone is on board the ship and uh, is going to just very casually kind of whirr to life. And again, creaky, lots of creaking. And Big Charlie's probably going to hear this, but Sandrine is on the way. Right. We'll say Big Charlie rolls a perception check and does very poorly because he's just so singularly focused on trying to find this A little bit inebriated. A little bit inebriated. So his response time is maybe not as great as it should be. And maybe even like the slight rocking of the boat as it sits in the harbor. So he's just it's being lost and all of that sort of noise. We'll say he kind of like bumps his way down the stairs to a lower deck where maybe the hold is for all the fish. And so... He starts like reaching in there and he's pulling fish out and he's like, you know, he's like being very over the top and gross where he's like squeezing a fish until like it just like falls apart or he gets his knife and he just starts stabbing a fish. He's like, yeah, this is this will teach you, you bucket of bolts kind of the thing is what he's doing. And so his back is turned and he's not noticing where Sandrine is in the moment. Sandrine is going to continue down the steps uh, and again, you know, not worried about uh, doing this in any kind of quiet way. This is Sandrine's domain. No one else belongs here except for Sandrine. And so uh, Sandrine uh, continues down and then he is going to call out, you should not be here. Uh, so Big Charlie will turn around and be like, ah, just the piece of crap I was looking for. And then he'll like get up in Sandrine's face and he'll just be like, you know, squeezing a fish at the same time till it just like falls apart. That will be two copper. I'm not paying you nothing, you bucket of bolts. You shouldn't even be here. You're taking away the honest work for honest men. I don't understand why you would say I do not belong here. You're not flesh and blood like us. You see this? And he like points to his chest. That's where my heart is. It beats with the sea. It beats with the aquatic life that dwells there. And you, you don't have that. And, you know, he's slurring his words and he's 
Sandrine is just very slowly going to kind of reach out uh, again, you know, actually on uh, at least the left hand here, uh, there are uh, more like eight, uh, you know, kind of uh, attachments that would be fingers almost. And one of them points out and just kind of uh, touches that flesh and blood where Charlie was. Uh, and then uh, Sandrine just says, yes, very squishy, very easy to puncture, bleeds lots. Are you threatening me? Sandrine. stating facts. It is up to you whether you believe them or not. He'll reach over to grab like another more handful of fish and like throw them down, I guess. And he's just like is six additional copper. And he like stomps his boot on it and like squishes it around. He's like trying to see what he can do to like maybe goad Sandrine at this point to see like. And Sandrine is going to say, I estimate that you turning around now and exiting the ship will take approximately 22 seconds. I shall be merciful and give you 26 seconds to do so. Failure to comply is going to mean that you take a dip. And Big Charlie will just start laughing at this point because he just he just doesn't believe the nonsense he perceives coming out of Sandrine's face. And so he's just going to be like, I'm I'm going to wreck your ship. You don't belong here. You're not a real fisherman. You're not like us. You don't you you steal our work. You steal our jobs. You're taking Sandrine, food and Sandrine money out of the mouths. Kind of corralling because Sandrine is fully aware um, that they have installed a hatch um, at uh, kind of uh, on the uh, the two kind of front sides, but both, uh, you know, starboard and, uh, you know, port or whatever mm-hmm. those things are. Um, but but either side, um, there is a hatch where the uh, the railing of the ship kind of comes down. And this is actually where Sandrine uh, uh, typically attaches, like kind of comes out to the side of the ship and attaches mm-hmm. um, and uh, is going to try to position where, you know, with the the hold, uh, the big hole that they've got to kind of walk around uh, and just literally trying to herd Big Charlie to where they would be near this place where if they shoved Big Charlie, the hatch could also go down and, and make that an easier prospect of them ending up in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, the, like for every moment uh, that, you know, uh, Sandrine advances, you know, like Big Charlie stumbles back and he tries to make a, like a big show of like, ah, what are you doing? You, you're trying to pick a fight? You, you know, I'll go to the guards. I'll tell them that you you picked a fight with me and that you. Eh, eh, eh. And so he's like, he's trying to like argue no and like fight. maybe he'll try and like, you know, try and smack back at Sandrine, but probably it doesn't do anything to him at this point. Eight more copper. And Sandrine just unfazed uh, continues. Uh, This is not a fight. I have heard that humans appreciate this type of humor, that if this was a fight, you would know it. And so, yeah, Big Charlie is just going to maybe try like one last ditch sort of effort. Um, I suppose Sandrine wouldn't have any need for uh light sources like lanterns or anything like that in the hall because being definitely a construct assume, yeah the dark vision is there yes yeah yeah so maybe an old lantern again in his drunken state maybe he's not quite thinking but like you know like this old lantern so he grabs it and he tries to 
smash it on the ground like ha i'm just gonna set fire to your boat but then he looks Ooh. down and he sees like a pool of like glass and oil for something that hasn't been lit in like however many years and so right. then he just looks confused it's just like oh, that should have worked like why why is nothing on fire right now i do not need fire on the sunset speaking of sunset i believe that yours is about to set and uh, he's just going to continue on. And when he thinks that uh, if Charlie gets close enough to the edge here, um, he's actually going to uh, kind of surprise with a little bit of reach um, that, you know, these extensible arms are going to just literally just kind of just reach out in a very straight, efficient manner and, and try to uh, shove Charlie off into the ocean. Yeah, I think it totally catches him off guard and he's not expecting it. Kind of like he, you know, grabs onto it, but like, and it gets pushed out. And so maybe he's like dangling out and he's like trying to hold on and not get fully pushed out. And so he's like yelling and struggling uh, enough to maybe like get attention of like people, passers, you know, bystanders and stuff looking over. (laughs) And so he's like trying to play it up as like, oh, no, I'm being attacked or something like that. Or, but also probably mixed with like, you know, what are you doing? Stop. You're going to embarrass me. Kind of, kind of a vibe. Got it. And then Sandrine is just going to simply say, you took 27 seconds and did not exit the ship. Would you like to exit the ship via the ocean below or the docks to our side? Uh, he'll probably say very mean, very naughty curse words at you in response. <laughs> All right. So then at that point, uh, Sandrine is not does not care about the subtleties of the situation and just says very well and just release like, you know, releases and or flings, um, you know, if he's still holding on too tightly and just wants him to end up in the ocean. All right. Yeah. With a loud splash, uh, Big Charlie ends up down below. And so he kind of like struggles a little bit to get up and maybe some of his other buddies standing on the docks, you know, throw him a line and they, they managed to pull him in. Uh, and then when all is said and done, you know, his friends look at him like, you know, well, so how'd it go? Uh, and then he's just like, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. And so he just kind of storms off. And then maybe at this point, a couple of other more friendly fishermen and maybe some of the guards, you know, come up to the gangplank for uh the sunset and so the uh one of the more friendly fishermen types will call and be like hey sandrine everything all right yes everything is satisfactory i would prefer it if people did not enter my ship when they did not have my permission and then uh, the guard will call up and be like uh you think uh, big charlie needs to have a night in the uh, in the jail do you think i care not either way He just better not come back onto my ship or the next time I shall probably show him just how squishy the skin that he was flashing to me truly is. And so I guess the, you know, the small group of them uh, at the edge of the gangplank will just kind of look at each other. The guard will probably just be like, probably for his safety. And then he because he's looking and maybe seeing Big Charlie starting to make his way back to the tavern. So he's like. Charlie probably needs to cool off. And so then as the scene begins to come to a close, uh, we'll see this group of, uh, of guards and, and friendly fishermen start to make their way back to the tavern to uh, apprehend Charlie to 
have a night in the jail cell. And is there any last thing uh, that Sandrine will do before he, uh, he goes back to power down? Yeah. So as Sandrine, um, you know, uh, as all that commotion in Sandrine, uh, looks down and you see just the, the kind of chassis of this body, uh, kind of whir and, and is just looking horizontal, uh, you know, kind of a perfect bend, uh, and monitoring, uh, the fish and, and you, uh, literally hear, uh, like, uh, audible, uh, like a count, but it's going like super, super fast. And it's like, um, he's like, only owes me and he's, he's like one gold and three silver and I, I shall collect at a later time and then you see sandrine uh walk back towards the captain's uh, quarters uh but uh you notice as you know we pan away that um you know very peculiar everything here is incredibly spartan um you know uh because sandrine doesn't need really you know any uh you know niceties in that way around them but, uh, but you do see that Sandrine, um, before they do that, pulls something out of the drawer, and it's a photograph of a small human, um, a, a child, and uh, you see Sandrine uh, look at it. You have no idea what emotion is going on within Sandrine's uh, you know, processor, uh, but then once this, uh, once you know, 30 seconds pass, the photograph is returned to the drawer and then Sandrine goes back into, uh, you know, kind of this, uh, sleep mode. All right. And scene. So there we go. Excellent. Now that we've had, uh, the opportunity to present Sandrine, uh, as a character, uh, living and breathing, if you will, uh, what did you think getting to be, uh, Sandrine? Yeah. I, uh, like I said, you know, before that started, I, I think, uh, I think I like Sandrine. I've always been fascinated. And again, I had zero clue, um, you know, how, how any of that was going to turn out, but I've always been fascinated with that concept of, um, uh, you know, HK 47 from Knights of the old Republic, you know, and stuff. And so the squishies mm -hmm. was a, a little callback to meat bags and, uh, you know, all that. So, uh, so definitely like that, uh, aspect of it. And then, um, I, uh, actually, uh, really, really enjoy playing the alien, uh, RPG, uh, from free league and, uh, being able to play an Android in that game is one of my favorite experiences. Um, you know, it's, uh, one of my favorite parts of, uh, you know, all of the films and everything too. And so, um, you know, I, I think that there is a lot of mileage out of that concept of, uh, you know, this constructed being that was built for some purpose having to find a new purpose once they've outlived that original one. Um, and, and so uh, that, that's very compelling to me. And uh, I think Sandrine would be uh, very interesting to explore because, you know, at, at the surface when this first came up and I randomly got Fishmonger, um, I'm just like, yeah, like that doesn't really engage me at all. But then the more that I got into it, it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is a town where this is a really important resource and, uh, you know, this idea that uh, that this outsider can find a new purpose in doing that. And then again, what who, whoever they're looking at in the photograph there, um, there's uh, it probably ties into the reason that they uh, care so much about uh, about, you know, making sure that they are uh, getting a good living off of, of this resource. Wonderful. Yeah. 
We are now in the final thoughts section of the show. I always like to ask my guests uh, their overall experience on the podcast, you know, uh, how you thought uh, this night was going to turn out and how do you feel now having come through the other side? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. It's very brave of you, honestly, you know, like uh, because uh, I know that uh, doing any kind of uh, retrospective uh, you know, look at anything is is sometimes a challenging process, and so uh, uh, yeah, I I applaud your bravery there. But uh, but no, I had a really great time. As I told you before we started, um, I, uh, I I get a lot of, I get a lot of uh, interview requests, uh, you know, all the time, and for the most part, um, you know, uh, not that I'm necessarily advertising out there. I don't have you know infinite time, but uh, for the most part, I always say yes. Like if if I am remotely available, I always say yes. Um, and, uh, and so I did the same thing with your invite, uh, and I did not look into, uh, really anything until a couple of days ago. And then I was like, wait a minute, like these questions, these are not just questions because, uh, in, in the, uh, you know, hundreds of interviews I've done, the questions all, uh, you know, end up being pretty similar most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, as I told you before we started here, I love this hook. Uh, you know, to go with the fish uh, metaphors uh, again, like I, I really think that it is a great angle. It is a good way to get to know someone, uh, you know, to uh, to tell a story with them, you know, even if it's uh, just a very short one. Uh, it's a it's a great way to get to know people and uh, and to uh, feature people and their personalities and everything else. So I think that the concept behind the podcast is a really, really cool one. And then I personally, as I came through, um, I, I had a really good time and I had no expectation of how that was going to turn out. And through a randomized character, uh, you know, it could have gone a whole bunch of different ways probably, but, um, but it, it ended up, uh, you know, being really engaging. So nicely done on your part. Oh, good thank stuff. you. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, you were talking about the randomization of the dice rolls. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking of, uh, you know, earlier today at the time of this recording, we just had our patrons pub night bonus episode uh, come out where I had both uh, Katie and, and my buddy Anson on. Uh, and so I know Katie was very, uh, very insistent that I try and have you sing on the podcast. Not that I would, <laughs> not that I would force you to do so, but she did yeah. relay the story of how, uh, you introduced in a game uh, a goblin that was, you know, having a party. And so that was very much like a callback to her. So she was very yeah. appreciative of that. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I, I love Katie and uh, everything that, that she does out there. Uh, she's a wonderful member of the community. And, uh, and yeah, I, uh, you know, I also was in a game uh, with Katie at one point where everyone was playing a bard. And we uh, we were uh, kind of instructed by the the game master to uh, as we're introducing our characters to sing because uh, it was kind of like a battle of the bands uh, you know kind of kind of situation and mm -hmm. uh, and so everyone's you know singing this great great stuff and of course I came in there with uh, some tenacious D you know and uh, and did that for my uh, jester inspired. Uh, bard that i was playing but uh but yeah it's uh singing is something that i certainly enjoy to do i'm not uh fantastic at it but i think uh you know uh to, to come full circle here i think that um you know even when i'm hiring people uh for for our demi playing team and, and previously at you know dnd beyond uh passion really can make up for a lot of things and um and so 
I think that, uh, you know, when I'm hiring and looking to expand, you know, our team, I'm looking for passionate people because if, if someone is not the best at, uh, you know, technical skills or, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, kind of tools that we use internally or anything else, those are all things that can be overcome by passion. Um, and, uh, and you can't really teach the passion part. Like that's the harder part to, to inspire. And so when you find someone who's passionate and really loves what they do, uh, then, uh, then it makes a difference. And so, again, I'm not a great singer by any means, but, uh, but I am pretty passionate about music. And, uh, and so it has, uh, afforded some interesting, uh, opportunities for me over the years. And, uh, and, you know, I, I constantly, I'm drawn to paladins, as I said before, but also to bards. And uh, I'm currently playing a bard on our uh, Children of Erte uh, live show that has, uh, you know, Deborah Ann Wall is, uh, you know, the, the game master there. And we have a fantastic cast of people that I have now had the privilege to play with for, you know, for three, almost four, I guess, four years at, at this point. And so we just have so much, uh, so much of a rapport, so much chemistry, uh, you know, in that cast. And, um, and, you know, I'm playing a, uh, I'm playing a bard that is actually from the real world, like our world. Mm-hmm. And so he ends up just kind of being like Scott Lang, you know, mixed with star Lord, hopefully the good parts of star Lord that it, are just like, uh, you know, uh, just constant pop culture references, um, you know, a- able to sing songs from our world in that show because like he is from our world, you know? So, uh, so there's just a ton, there's literally a soundtrack going on, uh, you know, in my mind, uh, every moment that we're playing. And so uh, that, that, that's been a lot of fun to do. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. So the, for the final moments of the podcast, I always like to leave the soapbox, the stage, the microphone, the platform, et cetera, to the guests. So uh, where can people find you on socials? What projects and things do you need to promote? And uh, any other passions or causes, charities, et cetera, that you'd like to promote to close us out? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, definitely check out uh, everything that Demiplane has going on. You can go to Demiplane.com. We have a Discord server that, um, you know, our entire team is is pretty active in there um, and, and forums. Uh, so, so anywhere that you can find uh, Demiplane, uh, definitely check out uh, all that we have going on. We have uh, at the moment, we have uh, they're, they're called nexuses. So, uh, so a nexus is you know a digital tool set for a particular game. And we have a Pathfinder nexus. Uh, we actually just uh, announced at Gen Con that we will have a Starfinder nexus when the second edition of that game uh, comes uh, into playtest next year. Uh, we have uh, you know I referenced Alien earlier. We have an Alien RPG nexus. We have our Marvel Multiverse RPG nexus. Uh, vampire next, you know, it's a really big list already. Um, and as I, uh, you know, kind of coyly, uh, you know, uh, teased earlier, we've got, you know, so many publishers that we haven't even publicly talked about yet. So there's just so much going on at Demiplane. And if you enjoy something like D&D Beyond and you've always wished that you had, uh, you know, high quality tools for, for some of these other games that you either play or want to try or always wanted to play, uh, then, uh, then Demiplane, uh, we, we are, uh, we are on that journey and, and, and we are working really, really hard to, to start providing all of that for those fantastic games and for those fantastic publishers. So, uh, so check out Demiplane.com. And, uh, personally, you can find me, uh, I guess I'm still on Twitter. Like, honestly, I don't know if they just closed the doors at some point, like, (laughs) 
I don't know if I will jump anywhere else because social media uh, is something that I don't have a ton of time for. But uh, but I am on Twitter at Bad Eye Adam. Uh, you can find me there, but uh, also really uh, easy to find me on our uh, Demiplane Discord server. Uh, feel free to reach out. I love uh, love talking with folks and, and interacting. I'm uh, going to be at uh, you know PAX Unplugged at Gamehole Con this year, so uh, you know definitely say hello if you see me at any of those conventions uh, the back half of this year. And uh, you know, other than that, I think I will end on again just saying that. I really do believe that the world would be a better place if every single person in it played a tabletop role-playing game. And, you know, even if that's not your thing, uh, perfectly fine. Uh, You know, definitely not going to yuck other people's yum in any way, uh, because as I said earlier, I'm all about passion. But, you know, whatever that thing is that you are passionate about, be passionate about it. And I think that we all, uh, you know, my hope is that we can all agree that we all need to be passionate about kindness and about love and about, you know, light in an increasingly dark world. Uh, so, so that will probably be my last thought out there. Wonderful. Uh, Mr. Adam, thank you so much for your time and uh, can't wait to have you back on and some of your other Demi plane team members on the podcast to make even more interesting NPCs. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of sidekicks and side quests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. If you don't like using podcast apps and services, I'm proud to announce that I'm in the process of uploading the podcast to our very own dedicated YouTube channel, which you can find by searching for Sidekicks and Sidequests. All future episodes should automatically publish to our YouTube channel. Visit our website sidekicksandsidequests.com for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and the corresponding threads, Twitter, now rebranded X, and Reddit by searching for SideKQ Podcast. You can now also find a very tiny community on Discord as well. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you'd like to hail the bard, simply send me an email at sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes, five stars if you please, to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. As mentioned in the NPC creation section of the show, I do in fact have a Patreon for the podcast. If you love this podcast and you want to help support us and take our show to the next level, I would appreciate it if you would go to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Modest, comfortable, wealthy, and aristocratic accommodations await, and we welcome all patrons to the Levitating Platter. Seriously, your financial support allows for this passion project to continue to invest in itself through the tools that will take our production to the next level, as well as provide more content for our patrons and the community at large. Please consider supporting me on Patreon if you can. 
Fine cakes and side quests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four.